0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Heart of Jesus, we let Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, drive us to Scripture, where we discover who Jesus truly is. All right, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. That'll be our, we'll be landing there today. That's Romans uh, chapter 5. So as we um, move to week three of our series, The Heart of Jesus, we again turn a diamond to see on this Easter Sunday the heart of Jesus. And specifically, his love that Jesus has for us. And it is a great love. This love has not only been displayed on the cross, it continues to be displayed through his intercession for us. And is also displayed in what his resurrection has given us which is hope. His resurrection gives us hope, a a hope that will never disappoint us, a hope that will never, ever be found to be false, hope that when the world is judged by God, those who are in Christ Jesus, those that are his children will be saved from the wrath that he will pour out on the world in a perfect and just judgment. I know many times it's, whenever you use those words, it's like people's like, oh, no, that God is all love and, and, and we don't need to talk about that. But we, we better talk about that because the Bible talks about that. And that is what he is saving you from. Because one day, all the rebellion, one day, all the sin, it will be judged by Jesus. It's so whether or not you are found in him or not determines where your eternity will be. So it is important. It is a just judgment. God is the one that created everything. Therefore, he can set up his own justice system. But we know that he is a just judge. He is a perfect judge. And one day, he is going to make all the wrongs right. And it's just whether or not we find ourselves on the right side of that judgment or on the wrong side. See, because Jesus loved us when we were his enemies, which is what our passage is going to show us, he loves us now. And that love secures our future. That love secures our future. This is what Paul is telling us in chapter 5 of the letter to the Romans. He's, he's telling those that, that, that heard this letter then, and he's reminding us. Today, So turn with me to Romans chapter 5. I'm actually going to read the passage. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. I'm going to back up a little bit. Just because there's a break there, because there's a chapter and verse there, doesn't mean that the flow of thought um, separates there. Remember that all these chapters and verses were put in later on, right? They, they had scrolls that they would un, un, unravel and read, and, and they would read it straight through. And then later on that we added the numbers and, and the chapter breaks and all that so that we can better um, study it and, and, and find our way through God's Word so that we can, can quickly get to the, the nourishment that we need from God's Word. So I'm going to start in chapter four, um, verse 23, because that's kind of where the thought begins as he's rolling through this um, wonderful letter to the Romans. So beginning in verse 23, he says, "But the words that was counted to him." He's talking about Abraham, and we'll 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 dive into that here in just a minute. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. And that ours is talking to the Romans, but is also talking to us today. So these words were written, the, everything that he wrote in chapter 4 about Abraham being justified by faith. Right? It was It was written for them, but it was also written for us. Right? But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord... He was delivered up to our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, see that's why we backed up a little bit. Because anytime there's a therefore, we need to go figure out what the therefore is there for. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also abstained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die, dare even to die. So, Paul has argued in the first four chapters of the book of Romans that by nature we are fallen creatures. Right? That we are born into sin. Just, just as David said, that, that in my mother's womb I was a sinner, right? That's because of Adam's sin. We inherited Adam's sin. So, this is the first four chapters, he's kind of building this argument, and then he continues on throughout the, uh, the book of Romans. He's talking about our justification. That's kind of what the whole book of Romans is about. It's how are we made right before God? So that, that whenever judgment comes, we are in right standing with God and it passes over us. Right? It passes over us. Is is summed up kind of in verses Roman in, in Romans 121. It says this. For although they knew God, he's talking about all of us. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So things happen, right? Because of the fall, our hearts are darkened, right? And we've made this exchange because of our darkened hearts. We have made an exchange. We have exchanged giving glory to God with giving glory to the things of this world and the things made by God, right? Right? This became the desires of our hearts, which is expressed in worship. This is the things that we worship here on earth. He's talking about this great exchange where we exchange the desires and giving glory to God for for the exchange of giving glory to the things that he created. We have what the Bible clearly says, especially in the New Testament, a built-in hostility towards God. The New, the New Testament clearly teaches this that deep down our natural inclination and and some of you might not say this before you were a Christian or, and some of you that maybe are sitting here today and don't know if you're a Christian or, or still trying to work through that you might you might never say this, but this is true that at one point in time we just flat out hated God because we would never listen to him. We would never follow his rules. We were we were always about ourselves. we always did what we wanted. In our hearts, we're set in that direction. But when we come to Christ, when He saves us, when he, we repent of our sins, the war that we have inside has been won. The war is over. But we consistently have all these battles, right? The war is over. But the victory is only evident in a moment by moment of putting off. Renewing our mind, putting on the things of God, putting on new habits, putting on new ways of thinking. God, through our regeneration, gives us a new heart that now has the ability to love God. Not perfectly, not perfectly at all, we still stumble and fall, an ability to desire the things of God, right? Throughout these first chapters of Romans, Paul is laying out why we need to be made right before God. He uses the word justified. He uses it a a lot. We are made right that we, we can stand in his presence. And he makes it clear this is done through faith, which is what the whole book of Romans is arguing. It is summed up in verses uh, sixteen and seventeen of chapter one, where it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, that is it written, the righteousness shall live by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Which is what Paul is pointing us to in verse 23 of chapter 4. That Abraham, being the prototype, in other words, he's he's yet another person in the Old Testament that is pointing to Jesus. He's pointing us to Jesus. Of Abraham being the prototype of who will be declared righteous through the righteousness of Christ. And that righteousness being credited to our account. In other words, his faith... In what God said in his promises, and and the promises included that he's going to send a Messiah one day, right? Jesus to make all things right. His faith in God's promises made him right before God. So therefore, he's pointing us to that we can be made right before God by believing and trusting in his Messiah, Jesus, the one who died on the cross. The condition for our justification being made right before God is that we trust God, that we believe in Christ. Verses 23 and 24 of of chapter 4 says, But the word that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus Our Lord. So, the the same way that Abraham believed the promises of God, we believe, and now that we can look back and see that Jesus was raised from the dead, and that's what we are trusting in. The Bible speaks often and in depth about the significance of the resurrection of Christ. We know that, on the one hand, the resurrection of Christ occurred because it was impossible for death to hold him, death could not hold him. In Of himself, Jesus was sinless. And if God had allowed sin to hold him eternally, this would have been an injustice against Jesus. Because we know what is the penalty of sin? It's death. This is why we die. Although if you're in Christ, you really just transfer from one life to the next. So we know that Jesus was sinless because he was raised from the death and he was raised from death because it it showed that he was sinless. There's no way that he could stay dead. Because he doesn't need to pay his own penalty. The reason why he died on the cross was to pay our penalty. It was to pay our penalty. He was sinless, being the perfect sacrifice. And so Christ is vindicated by the divine act of resurrection. God proves the innocence of Jesus by raising him from the dead. He proves his innocence... By raising him from the dead. But God did not do this as an isolated incident. For we are told repeatedly in the New Testament that Jesus is the firstborn of those who are to be raised from the dead. We who are in Christ will participate in his resurrection. We get to participate in his resurrection. Yes, but we have so many years on this earth and, and we will pass away. But one day when he comes back, we will be resurrected. We will get to live in the new heavens and the new earth. Had Jesus died and not been raised from the dead. That would have indicated that his atonement was not accepted by God. But we know that he is risen. That's why we are celebrating Easter today. It's not about the bunny. It's about Jesus. He is raised. He is living. He's alive. The fact that God raised him demonstrates to the world that God is satisfied with the perfect work of his son. The resurrection of Jesus is the verdict of the judge of heaven and earth. That the atonement, his, his price being paid, his blood being spelt. He atoned for our sins. Has been made and all who trust in Christ will participate in the benefits of the righteousness of Christ. We get to participate. We don't deserve any of this. While we were enemies of him, Christ died for us. So he's established all this. He's he's shown us all this, all this that God has done, and then we get to the therefore in chapter five, right? Therefore, there are some things that are true of you. There are things that are true of you right now today, and because you are in Christ. This is true of you, and this is many times, a lot of times, where we forget our identity of who we are in Christ, and we wander off and start believing things that aren't true. That's when we stumble a lot and fall into sin. So, therefore, there's some things true of you. So, if you are in Christ today, right, we have peace with God. That's what he says in verse 1. We have peace with God. Therefore, since we have been justified, look at it with me. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are in Christ, because we have put our faith in Christ, we are now at peace with God. Why do we need to have this peace? Because we were his enemies. He tells us that in verse 11. We were his enemies, right? While we were his enemies, we were reconciled. Before our regeneration, Ephesians 2 tells us that what we did is we followed the course of this world. Right? Ephesians 2 kind of lays out who who were we? What is what is man? Who is man? Right Before God lavishes his grace upon us and changes our heart, who are we? Well, we follow the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan. So that's who we were following, right? Before God intervenes in our lives. This makes us his enemy, right? We know that that, that Satan and, and Jesus, they're... You know, it's not that, that any way that Satan is equal to Jesus and they're in this some cosmic war. It's just that Jesus has done his work. He's waiting to come back. And Satan is allowed for, for God's reasons, not ours. Don't, don't dive into that or you'll bend your mind <laughs> in trying to figure that out because we're not God, right? But if, if we're following Satan before Jesus the, Jesus saves us, then we're his enemies, Through our Lord Jesus Christ, that we have peace. We're we're given peace. The walls of hostility have been broken down. The hatred you had in your heart and the just judgment God had for your rebellion have been reconciled by our mediator, Jesus Christ. It's it's kind of laying out who we are before God does it. And and we need to understand who we are before Jesus did his work in us, the Holy Spirit worked in us, so that we can much more appreciate what we've been saved from, right? We just, we just didn't make a little mistake. We just didn't say a little lie. We sinned against an infinite holy God, right? But this infinite holy God loved us so much that he made a way for us, a path for us, that we may have peace before him. So as a child of God, we need to believe this, particularly when we struggle with sin, Saint, we are saints who stumble and sin. We need to remember that. See, when we when we stumble and sin and we run to somewhere else other than to the cross of Christ, we're, we're walking and stepping out of the of the grace that He gives us. Many times, I know I find myself doing that. I run to here or run to there. I just don't run to the cross. But there's peace there because of what Jesus has done. Yes, we feel shame. Yes, we feel guilt. But we go to the cross, and we repent, and we turn, and we trust. This peace that he gives us, it's a transcendent peace, a peace that passes understanding, a peace so stable, so deep, so which that it is fullness dimension. it remains incomprehensible to us. Have you ever met people like that? Where, where they've been walking with the Lord so long that it's like you, you, you sit down and you talk to them for five minutes and, and, and you hear of just the mess of their life, say in the last six months. But they're sitting there with a smile on their face and they're good. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I know Jesus. He saved me. He has a great hope for me. One day I'm going to spend eternity with him. It doesn't matter what happens to me today. That's the kind of peace that is available for us. Maybe more than anything, especially coming out of a pandemic and just the, the, the tension, it seems to be everywhere you turn in today's world. Do we need this peace? Do we need to understand this peace? Do we need to, to talk to ourselves about this peace? Because we will quickly forget about it. Man, there's such incomprehensible peace for us. Because of what Jesus has done. This Jesus again is not only peace of mind, inner peace, but it is a peace in our relationship with God. It's kinda, the whole Bible is, is how God is going to restore our relationship with him that was broken in the garden. Jesus even said it this way, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Now, we know that Jesus is in perfect peace with the Father. They're all one. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Right? Don't be afraid. There's there's nothing that man can do to you. Right? God has you. That's the peace. When God declares peace when he declares us just right before him, right? The war is over and it's over forever. We have peace. The second thing that, that Paul shows us is what is true of you is that we have access to God. Romans 5.2 says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the, this grace in which we stand. And we re- rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So what, what does Paul mean here? To understand this, we need to go back to Genesis. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, he kicked them out of the garden, no longer being in the presence of God. That's where true peace is. And what happens is, is as we sin, as we stumble, we just we keep separating us ourselves from God. Now, he'll never let us go, but there's this thing, communion with God, this, this relationship with him. Do you have a relationship with him or is he just some cosmic idea that you have? I'm working hard on my relationship with him. I, I pray that you strive also. It is a true and honest relationship. Right? We got to go back where where they sinned. And, and so they would not get to the tree of life. He kicked them out of the garden. And then there's a separation between humans and God from that point forward. And we see throughout the Bible how God is slowly bringing us back to his presence. Right? I mean, if, if if you've read through your Old Testament, you have seen how he's slowly bringing us back, right? It starts with a burning bush, and Moses moves to the mountain, was revealed in a pillar of fire, and a cloud was made, it was way, it, it, so the, the cloud, you know, during the day, and a pillar of fire at night. It, then they moved into the tabernacle. But there's only one person that they got to be in the presence of God, and that was the high priest. It also moved into the temple with the same idea. So although that God was bringing us closer to him and he gave these provisions for for the one man that had to do all these, these sacrifices and things to make him right before God so that he can be in his presence, he's pointing us forward to the one day where we all can be in his presence, right? Where we all can be in his presence. And what separated the holies of holies from the rest of the temple or the rest of the tabernacle? Right? What was it? It was a massive curtain of several folds and layers separated the people from God's presence. Well, what happened? What happened on the cross? Because Christ is our high priest. When he died, what happened? The curtain was torn. Wasn't torn from the top up. It was torn from the top down. And Matthew 27:51 says, "And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split." So not only is he giving us peace, peace inside and peace with him, but he's bringing us into his presence. Why? Because the barrier between God and man was removed. Right. The sin of man was atoned for, and those who are justified are now able to come into the presence of God. Have you experienced the presence of God lately? R.C. Sproul sums it up well. When I believe in Jesus, his righteousness is imputed to me, credited to me. Just like the government, right, they they passed the law and, and they credited most of us with some money in our account to help us pay bills and such because of the pandemic. Credited. Given to us. Imputed. Put it on our account. Right? When I believe in Jesus, His righteousness is imputed to me and I have access to God. It is grace in which I stand. I have been elevated to a position of privilege. To stand in the presence of a God by His grace. Not by anything we have done. Not by pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Not by doing good through grace. He's put us there he's given us this privilege to be in his presence the peace we have with God is so great now his presence resided in us now through the Holy Spirit we've been given the Holy Spirit he resides in us it's incredible incredible all the, all the, the love that God is pouring out to his people his rebellious people We are at peace with God, and we now have access with God. But Paul keeps going. It gets better. In in, in verse 2, through him we also obtain access by faith and His grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So the back half of verse 2. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have a new experience of joy and a new experience of hope. And they are connected. Joy and hope connects. Those that you know that have great joys because they have great hope. Right, They are connected. The hope we have is rooted and grounded in the promises of God. That is what's rooting our hope. Just like Abraham didn't believe in faith, right? He didn't believe in his own faith. He believed in the promises of God. So not only can we look back at the cross and see all God has done, but we can trust in the promises that we have going forward. Looking to them. Knowing because Jesus is raised. He is the first fruit of the resurrection. And we will later be raised. That is our hope. It is a great hope. The Holy Spirit dwelling with us within us. Confirms the truth of God's word. And it becomes an anchor. His promises become an anchor for our lives. When life comes in at us. And we're tossed and turned. It is the word of God that anchors us. It's his promises that anchor us. Anchors us. Why do we need an anchor? Because of what Paul says next. Paul it d- d- tells us, it's just as Nate said, life is not going to be a bed of roses just because we come to Christ. In fact, in some ways, it's going to get harder because before we used to sin, love our sin, and never thought anything about our sin. Now Christ gets a hold of our heart. Now all of a sudden, oh, now I feel guilt and shame over that. That's fine. It, you, you're not condemned by Jesus, But what he does is he twinges your heart on that guilt and shame so that you can repent and turn to him and trust in him. And Paul says in verses 3 and 4, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. Produces hope. The hope that we have is certainty for the future and it produces joy. We have hope in God's promises In that hope knowing that nothing can be taken away. That one day we will be raised with him. One day every tear will be taken away. It gives us great joy. Nothing can happen to you in this life that will change your eternal life with God. If you are in Christ, nothing, not even you, can mess that up. Paul is saying God is in control. The toughest of our experiences, death, disease, the loss of loved ones, war, terror, all of these things that we suffer become not only tolerable, but we can actually glory in them. We can actually rejoice in them. Because we know that although it is hard in the time, and although we need to grieve, and although we need to cry, and although we need to to show remorse at life that is coming at us hard and fast. We can still point to Jesus, knowing that one day we will be with him, right? We can actually glory in them because we know that God has promised to redeem every pain that we experience. He's promised to wipe away every tear that we have shed, turn When you need those times to Revelation 21, he'll show you that. And not only that, no matter what we are walking through, no matter what we are struggling with, we have a great high priest who can sympathize with us. We have the Word of God that shows us that, Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So not only has he struggled with every emotion that we can come up with, he has been tempted in every way that we will be tempted, yet he is without sin. What a glorious Savior we have. Not only will Jesus redeem our suffering, but he has suffered as we have. He has suffered as we have. What does this hope do? Romans 5, 5 tells us, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. This hope cannot and will not ever disappoint you. Ever. This is what we celebrate today. The resurrection of Jesus as the first fruit of those who have died. First Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20, says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This is what the Word of God says. This is the promise we have. But each of his own order, Christ the first fruits, then of his coming, those who belong to Christ. The Word of God says that you will be resurrected one day just as Jesus was resurrected. Saints, you are alive. Do we live as nothing in this world can touch our eternal life with Christ? This hope that we have will never, ever disappoint you. It will never let you down. Well, how can we be sure of that? Joe, how can we be sure of that? Well, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He just doesn't tell us first all that God has done and then showed us who we are and and the things about it. He's going to give us some proof, right? How can we be sure? Paul gives us two basic reasons in the rest of this passage. The first one, God's love for us. And the second one, God's work for us in Christ, which I know that we've been talking about this whole time. God loves you. As Daniel read, for God to so love the world. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God does what? What does the word say? God shows his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. At the time, at the right time, God determined Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us rebellious sinners. Acts 2.23 gives us a hint of that. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. As he's talking to the Jewish people at Pentecost. At the right time, God determined... The whole emphasis of the text is that God does not wait for us to become righteous before he brings about our redemption. While we were actively being disobedient to God, while we were in a state of rebellion against God, while we were hostile to God, while we were ignoring God, while we were refusing to submit to him, refusing to love him, refusing to worship him, at that time, Christ died for us. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Because he died for us because he took the wrath that we deserve in our place because he was the perfect sacrifice for us purchasing us at the price of his life this work that Jesus did for us Paul says secures our future. It's the love and the work coming together. It secures our place on the day of judgment. We will be saved by Jesus' life, his resurrection. How much more by his death, but much more by his life, his resurrection. That we have this hope. Romans 5, 9-11. through Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, made right before him, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So there is a past, there is a present, and there is a future aspect of the work of God on our behalf. Our rejoicing is for what God has done. Our rejoicing is for what he is doing today. Our rejoicing is for what he will accomplish, what he has accomplished for us, for the hope that we have in the future. Guys, he loves us in our mess. He loves us right in our mess. Then while we were still enemies. Enemies. He'll love us in our mess now. He loves us in our mess now. This is the heart of Jesus. This is who He is. His tender heart towards His children. He loves you. He's done a great work for you to give us a hope that will never disappoint. Nothing can now unchild you. Not even you. You are a child of God. If you trust in him. In this hope, in this new heavens, in this new earth. Think about this. We will be less sinful in the next life than we are now. Yes, we will. But we will not be any more secure in the next life than we are right now sitting here today. Jesus didn't die for us once we became strong. He didn't die for us once we started to overcome our sinfulness. God didn't reconcile us to himself once we became friendly towards him. No, he died for us while we were his enemies. He died for us. To hear these words today. Here's these words, Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of the lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It was not possible for him to be held by it. That is what we celebrate today. His resurrection that gives us this great hope. He has given us peace. He has brought us into the presence of God. We have this eternal secure hope that we know because of God's promises, because his love for us, and because of Christ's work on the cross. It leaves us just one question for you to answer today. Do you know him? Do you know this Jesus. Do you know him today? Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that has heard all that you have done for them. Lord, that your spirit has gone and changed their hearts Lord, I pray that we will respond. They will repent. They will turn from trusting in anything but you. And they will put their trust in you. Lord, for those who have been walking with the Lord for a while, we are just reminded of this wonderful resurrection hope that we have that one day you will wipe away every tear, every pain, every amount of suffering. This hope that will never disappoint us or let us down. One day we will be, just as you are, resurrected into a new life. Lord, that, that hope gives us great joy. No matter what today brings us. Lord, we give you praise and glory for the wonderful work and the immeasurable love that you pour out on us each and every day. Lord, we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.